Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. All right, welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. Uh, we're continuing our theme of formative experiences. And this episode, I talked to comedian Justin Williams. Pretty uh, crazy stuff. You'll hear about it, but growing up in several different hotels, being shuffled around, going from inner city to the suburbs, all kinds of things you're going to hear about. It's a pretty wild ride. And I'm happy that he was open enough to share this kind of stuff with you. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, as usual, this episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of apps for content creation. Check them out on the App Store. Just go to Future Moments, and you'll see all kinds of apps, whether you need a video that sounds good, you need to record a podcast, you need to master your podcast so it sounds good, like this one, check out Future Moments on the App Store. Thanks a lot. Please uh, subscribe, tell your friends, and I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you get something out of it. I know I did. What I like to do is really soak it all in. Nice, yeah. <laughs> so it says on your bio that you consider yourself black. Yeah. <laughs> and comfortably middle class. Yeah. That was a that was a uh that was the title of like the first long stand up set I ever filmed. Black and comfortably middle class. Uh, yeah, so I put my the, the cover was me with like a Thomas Jefferson shirt on. Cool. Yeah, it was like the idea of like doing something that people, you know, turning it on his head so that people weren't used to seeing. Then, like in the four or five years since I've done that, that's basically every comic that's like famous as a black comic now. That's like that's comfortably yeah, middle yeah, class. Yeah, we're like in an explosion of like black middle class voices. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, like everybody is like, I'm black, but I'm here's my take on consumerism. Right. It's like every yeah, it's like everybody now. You know, is that progress? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's better than uh, being confined to you know just a certain type of room or people expecting you to only talk about a certain type of thing. It's just funny now. It's like you got to go back the other way now. You do know you, what I mean? Do you feel that way as a as a black comic that you're supposed to talk about a certain thing? Well, you know, comedy segregated. There's all kinds of scenes. You know what I mean? So there's an urban comedy scene where like you know only like 
one or two white comics even know about where the rooms are or, yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you know subject matter in those rooms is are, are a little bit different than what you'll see maybe in times square or something like that and a lot of in a lot of neighborhoods now especially with gentrification you, you might have an urban room actually running you could have two shows in the same neighborhood like uh like i run a show in downtown newark my show is very different than maybe a show that could literally be like right down the street is your show considered urban uh no not really i mean we have urban comics on the show but it's a mix of comics so like the way the way you can always judge anything like if i'm ever if if i'm ever doing a show like an urban show if i'm like up in the bronx or if i'm up in harlem or something like that or if i'm like deep in newark or something like that uh i i I, I always know it's an urban show if my name is the only government name on the flyer (laughs) justin williams yeah it's very uh you know proletariat or something yeah no it's like yeah i don't have a stage name so a lot of black comics that work all black rooms actually have stage names right right and for non-comedy listeners we should say that calling in an urban room it sounds so segregational it or is. something yeah because they're all in a city they, every you know all these shows are in the context of the city urban room just means like in like the black neighborhood that like caters to a predominantly black audience right and yeah. i've done a couple that are considered urban rooms quote unquote yeah and it is a, it is a different experience it's different it's just i mean it's different like i i mean uh, there's certain things that i'll do in those rooms that you change because it's it's more it's more about the nature of your performance in those rooms it's about being a performer yeah rather than like uh the strength necessarily of your writing per se oh interesting yeah it's interesting because i'm curious to hear your experience at doing an urban room compared to uh maybe an alternative room which is probably more white yeah the, the alternate well so it's weird i mean because it's like yeah some of these alternatives are on black but there's also like black alt rooms too that's the thing like a black alt room is not the same as an urban show even <laughs> those oh, are two different shows even cool like a black like a black urban room is like is you know it's like it's like a jill scott concert there's like a lot of whole foods bags but there's dreadlocks right right, you know, right. oh right yeah it's like there's that and then michael franti's hanging out in the back <laughs> yeah <laughs> And then there's like an urban show. Urban show is just a little bit different, right? It's like, you know, there's, um, you know, the, the, you know, there's a DJ, you know what I mean? Right. That's going on and like the comics are working the DJ as part of their bits and like, you know, the show just might turn into a snap session. You know what I mean? At What's any a point. snap session? Just like, oh, look at this dude. Or, or did you see how bad that other comic bombed? Let's, we're going to talk about that for the next hour and a half. And uh, just really, you know, like it's the, the format's a little different. It's not like you're not going up there like, oh, well, I read in the paper. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you would describe it, the differences as it's much more uh, critical? Um, I'm not going to say critical, but if I had a choice of where to bomb in comedy, <laughs> it's not going to be at that urban show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you probably have a different experience being a black person doing an urban room oh, that's no, than I do being a white person doing an urban room. I find it actually pretty fun. I haven't bombed yet, so maybe that's why I think that, but I find it pretty fun because it's a lot more lively and interactive mm-hmm. and I like that. It's actually better from my observation it's actually better this is going to sound counterintuitive but it's actually better to be a white comic in that room because you get you get it because the the audience is just 
the, number one, your viewpoint is just never represented on those shows. Right. So the audience is like, oh, this is cool, like, actually, in a way. So it's like, even, and y- there's not the same expectation. As a black comic, if you bomb on that room, it's like, I mean, it's just merciless. Right. Like, uh, I'm not saying it's not saying it's good to be a white comic that bombs either. They could, it could go either way, depending. Yeah. But I'll say that, like, I notice there's a weird thing, like, our urban audiences, I find, are usually pretty, generally pretty nice to, like, the one white comic on the show. You oh, know. interesting. Like, because it's like, oh, you're expected to have a different point of view to where you have to, you can have a different point of view as a black comic on an urban show, but you have to be a force of nature in order to get that audience to buy into it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're probably looking at you with arms crossed a little more. Yeah, because they're like, what is, you know, it's like, it's depending on if you come up there. And there's also, I mean, if you look at black performers in that room, there's a projection of confidence. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You, I mean, you see, I mean, you see the, the, I mean, just look, I mean, if you want to look at, look at, look at acts like Michael Blackson or Mike Epps mm-hmm. or, you know, like Talent or Imagine or Capone or any of these people, there is no lack of confidence in yes. that presentation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you come up there and you work a certain style, you know, you get, I mean, you have to really go up there and own the room or, or you, know, you could lose control of it, which is why I really like those rooms. Yeah. Because uh, it's the only time where I, I'm ever like, uh, you know, you get lazy sometimes in certain uh, comedy scenes. Uh-huh. And those, I'm always like, this is actually like my fight or f- like flight keeps you on your toes. Yeah. I'm like, I, I have to do well. Cause you just have to leave. There's nothing more embarrassing. No, like, what do you think you're going to bomb and then go hang out? No, you have, you have to, to <laughs> you, you have a cloud of stink around you that you have to immediately leave the building. <laughs> I mean, cause the, yeah, the, the, the post bombing commentary mm-hmm. is even worse. Like the things that people might say to console you will hurt your feelings even more. What did you call it before? A snap? Yeah, like a snap session. Snap it's, session. It's Is like, that like, oh, snap, that was shit. That was snap. That was. <laughs> or just look at his shoes or look at it, you know, or did you see, like, I mean, uh, there's a great club in Atlanta that I've never performed at that I want to at some point. It's called Uptown Comedy Club. Uh-huh. And there's just, you know, it's like video of a guy bombing. And the host just comes up and does 40 minutes on the guy bombing. Oh, no. And, like, did you see the moment when the confidence left his eyes? <laughs> and it's like, you know what I mean? Like, yep, yeah. Yep. You see how he put his head down? You know totally, what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's like, I mean. So you get roasted. Not only do you bomb, but then you get roasted. Yes. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. So, like, I, you know, I, I mean, I like, I like doing those shows when the, uh, you know, especially when the, you know, conditions are conducive. Because you know you're funny. And the audience, in the way that if you bomb is bad, if you kill, like, you feel, like, incredible. Right. You feel like you, you know. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, like, keeps you honest. You know what I mean? Because uh, now I think you get, a lot of comedians can insulate themselves now with the sub-marketing. Like, if I wanted to only perform for just woke, middle-class black people, I, that, there's actually an audience for that now. Yeah. And I could avoid that scenario entirely. But I think it's good to put yourself in a position to where, like, I perform for, like, Trump supporters sometimes out on the road. You know what I mean? And you, how do you do with that? Uh, I do well, man. You know, so it depends on the degree of the Trump supporter. There's some that just, you know, hate you. Yeah. Because your, your material <laughs> can be political. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, and you're not pro Trump. No, we no. should be clear about that. No, no, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm so not, not Ben Carson. <laughs> so, do you find that, um, they're on board with you? Aren't they, even if the joke is funny? If the, if you're anti-Trump, they're just not on board usually. Well, I don't know. It's been, it's been a weird time because the key is is writing a joke that's so funny you can get them to laugh 
at it like if you can make fun of trump and get a trump supporter to laugh at it that's like oh that's actually a good joke you know what i mean because mm-hmm. anybody can be like well trump sucks and then getting applause from people they agree with but right. if you can make a trump supporter laugh at trump it's like it's like oh that's a good joke because they're like oh i can't even deny that that's untrue what you're saying yeah uh the bad issue is that trump does things that make it so much to where it's like uh you f- almost feel like uh, you feel like an accomplice to a crime because Trump is so bad that you're, if you're even attempting to sort of like rationalize this guy in any way, you're like, am I like an accessory to sure. the things he does? That's what, that's the thing that's bad about Trump, actually. He's so bad you can't even it's, – it's, it becomes hard to actually approach making fun of him in good faith. Right. How do you know it's a Trump supporting room? uh based on the geography of where i'm at i can tell i can tell i mean i can tell based on what you're wearing i'm from the midwest so i'm used to you're from kansas city missouri yeah which is like a broad it's directly in the middle of the country so you get to see a broad cross-section of people Uh so i can tell based on the way you look a lot of times based on where you live i can tell all all those things you know yeah i think that's a Skill and or we're wrong quite a bit, but you can you get that skill from being a stand-up comedian on stage. Yeah, I I've gotten to the point where I can kind of pick out who's in a relationship and who's single. Yeah, is there something about their aura or something? It's interesting. Well, even in the way that they approach a, a comedy show is is like like where they sit, like how they how they're sitting. Yeah, yeah. Like I can get I can get ideas like uh, you know. Uh, yeah. I, okay. So the best story I could tell was just in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and it was the greatest thing because I could tell who was who. Right? It's like you know, guy with kind of Hulk Hogan handlebar mustache, white hair, yeah, kind of leather jacket with his like, his, you know, his wife that he probably calls his old lady, arms crossed, while doesn't, you're on stage. Doesn't, doesn't crack a smile right. the entire time. And then there's like two lesbians sitting next to him having the time of their life, and it's like you can tell who's who in yep. the room. You know, like. Um, so yeah like there's stuff like that you know yeah do you ever feel fearful for your safety um so i mean this is the first time i've been doing comedy for like nine almost 10 years maybe 10 years now so you know it was the end of the bush administration it was like obama and stuff like that and when i've never uh seen people try to kill me until the trump thing started coming along right like uh like I've, I, there, there were like two guys from like Arizona at a show in Carolines, actually in New York, where it was like I, like I'm not leaving before they do. Yeah, you were scared they're gonna wait for you outside. Yeah, it was that kind of. It was like they just, they, you know, they just wouldn't tolerate. And it was that was also height of the campaign, but it was also a political theme show, oh. which was so crazy. Which is that's what sort of makes it crazy with the Trump supporters is like the I'll come to this, and then how dare you do what you do in the context where you said you were gonna do it? Right, <laughs> they should know that it's New York. It's a politically theme. It's comedy. <laughs> Odds of being a, a comedian being pro-Trump are pretty small. <laughs> Yeah. In New York, at least. Yeah. Well, and, you know. Not that there aren't, because there are. There are. There are. There are. They're, they're yes, out there. there and they just, they have their own lane. And their lane may not be mainstream show business, but there's rooms where they're crushing it right now. That's an interesting way to think about it. Your lane. Yeah. Have you found your lane? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I just want my lane to be funny, but I don't think I think I should find a lane now. I've been thinking about that now because the sub marketing thing is what's happening now. Yeah, sub marketing like your different the, all the different niches that are available. Yeah, the yeah. So I, I think I should find that. Honestly, I think if I became a black Trump supporter, that could be like actually the big thing. I could be number one then. You would be the first person in that lane. <laughs> I would be the number if a black Trump supporting stand up comedian. Yeah. dude, I would instantly be a millionaire. Are you kidding me? I'd sell out. I'd sell out all over this country. I think about it. I think about it all the time, but it's just like I just couldn't do it. What about know? doing that in the form of, uh, like the way Stephen Colbert was conservative? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I'm cl- I'm okay with making fun of the conservative elite. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the way in the way that Colbert does, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with. playing a character yeah that makes fun of like like working class people you know what i mean right like uh i mean especially the way it comes off you know what i mean and then also as part of that sort of ethos it's like we're not responsible for it but it does what so what uh, me doing that thing what that does is like delivers those people further to trump you think it's like i care i'm anti-trump enough yeah to where i don't even want to do anti-trumpism in that way because it helps trump Right, so you're pushing, makes them push back more. Yeah, it gives them what they want. It says, oh, this uh, Northeastern black liberal elite right. is making fun of you. I'm not making fun of you. I understand you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to where my my act is more about, like, I understand you because uh, I used to grow up around you. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you why you're nuts, but I'm telling you why you're nuts on your own terms, not as an outsider. Right. I'm telling you I understand what you're thinking, and you're making crazy choices right now, and we need to be able to laugh at this crazy choice that you've made. Yeah. Like you've delivered us to a racist reality TV show host. And I know you don't like Hillary Clinton, but you have to, you cannot pretend this is normal. Right. You know I, I mean, mean, that's a good, that's a great thing about comedy. You, you could spoon feed the sugar with, with some humor. Yeah. It's like, if I come out, I don't want to be, you know, it's like, I don't want to go out. I want to, I actually want to entertain the audience. Right. You know what I, you know what I mean? Like they paid money. I don't want to ruin somebody's night that, you know, came so out and things like that. First it's, and foremost, you want to be funny, but you do... You do a lot of political stuff, so you're trying to get, get a message a across. Yeah, yeah, get a message across, like because they're not used to seeing that point of view, especially if you're on the road. Like my point of view is just not represented on stage. You know what I mean? Like black comics that work out in the road, if they're working for like white audiences and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. they do like kind of like you know they're like black jokes. You know what I mean for the right. white audiences, which is which is fine. Um, but I'm not really about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to challenge you. Well, I think that that's refreshing, actually. Yeah. I, do you find audiences are refreshed by the fact that you're not coming up there and talking about? Maybe they might get it. A, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think a lot of people like it. They haven't seen it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of show business is just doing something that people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And like people are like, oh, I, you know, I, cool. That's that's cool. But at the same time, you know, maybe there's one or two people that's like, that's not what they expect you to say. So they don't they don't like it. But that's that's OK. Has anyone ever attacked you? Uh, no, no one's ever, no one's ever attacked me. Um, but people will come up and say <laughs> funny stuff after shows and stuff like that. Like they'll yeah. tell you who they voted for and stuff like after my show, which I think is interesting. Or they'll be like, "This is why I did it," which well, I think is interesting actually because it's actually kind of it becomes more of a conversation. It means, and it also means that you got to them. They have to explain themselves. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and and also it means like they're making themselves into a human being which is good because right. they come across as a caricature to us you know what i mean yeah so they go i did this because of this and it's like well i may not agree with what you said but i understand you i understand your your humanity 
a little mm-hmm. bit out of this interaction. So I hope you understand me. I understand you. And that's like, you know, the first, that's like the first step to actually having a functioning civil society. Yes. And that's really what we're lacking and what we could use more of these days. Yeah. It's, it's horrible out there. It's as bad as I've ever, it's, this is, I mean, this is bad. You know what I mean? That's why I don't even like, it's like, I'm, I'm wondering like, I'm like, should I even be doing political comedy at this? I mean, I guess it's more necessary than ever, but it's so bad that some people, they can't even, everybody wants to shut down. Even a lot of liberals, I've noticed, if like, I don't even want to hear about Trump. Like, right. right. Like, I'm just going to shut down. But also people are quick to make everyone a caricature and then already know everyone's stance and then that's it. Yeah. And it's to me, it's just kind of lazy. Because then you're like, oh, that person's that. I've got them figured out. No more work for me to do on my end. Yeah. That's it. And it's also empathy. It's like, I mean. Lack of. Yeah. Well, it's like you go out on the, you go out to uh, to places, you know, and it's like, I mean, you see what deindustrialization has done, not just the cities. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, what, what are you going to come to? I'm going to come and like, come to this town and then like, that's having a tough time and then just give them a strong talking to it's like that's not what these people right it's like jesus you know i what know <laughs> yeah it's a fine line because ultimately i'm i'm with you where i just feel like i'm an entertainer up there and i want to if people are paying for tickets and drinks I just, they're probably trying to escape their lives yeah but then i also want to have some sort of message message it's a weird mix because the people are so nice that's what, okay, this is what's weird about America, right? Is like that you have mm-hmm. this mean-spirited po- mass sort of political movement, right? Yeah. But then you go to these places and the same lady that's, you know, probably, you know, doing something crazy. She's like, she will bake you a pie and show you to her, yeah, this is my husband and yeah. here, here's all of, and show you your family history. It's like the same lady. <laughs> well, because you're face to face and you're seeing each other in 3D. It's not online. It's just some name on a screen. Yeah. Yeah. Yelling at you in all caps. <laughs> well, it's not somebody that's being energized. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think what it shows is right. Is that people are susceptible to messaging, which is in the same way, like, right. It's the same way that some of these places like Obama, like crushes in. But like, but like, but like Trump crushes in. Right. It's people right. that are just receptive to any sort of messaging. Yeah. Like whatever you put out there, they will give up. They will give back. Hope. Yeah. Hope. Uh, togetherness. They're like, that, that feels good. I'll do that. And then like just hatred and exclusion. They're like, we'll roll with that. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's like Ghostbusters too. <laughs> it's, all, it's all like hope makes people feel empowered. Yeah. And Trump, I don't know if he's giving people hope. Maybe he's giving them uh, a sense of empowerment through victimization. They're a victim of something. Yeah. And that's what Fox News really strives on. They're always playing the victim role. They're out to get Christmas. They're out to get you. They're out to get this. <laughs> yeah, man. Fox News, man. Uh, you know, I just watched them. At this point, it's gotten so ridiculous. It's like every time Trump does something that would be a career ender for any other politician. Yeah. I always just go to foxnews.com just to see which unflattering picture of hillary clinton they're running as the top story <laughs> instead of the real story yeah, instead of the real story yeah the real story is buried deep on their page you yeah know? i mean is it really still possible for people to watch fox and consider it fair and balanced they're not doing it i mean it's just more comfortable to live in the world you live in you know what i mean um let's see because you see the same thing with memes online like like i like i mean conservatives rely on misinformation like like a lot right because just in order to pass their agenda, right? They just make stuff up. But then every once in a while, I see these liberal memes that are actually not completely accurate and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll bring it up to people. And actually, their justification, they won't even take it down, right? Oh. Their justification will actually be the same as a Trump supporter. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's good. 
they're doing it they're doing or they're doing it or something like that i'm like man we're you know yeah that's not good (laughs) yeah all right let's talk about your formative experience was it when trump got elected no (laughs) i doubt it (laughs) no 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 for my formative experience was actually going to different type of schools growing up like uh when when i was uh i was in the kansas city school district as it lost its accreditation like and i think it's just now maybe getting ready to earn its accreditation back like, what do you mean like, it lost its accreditation like if you go to the, those schools it like doesn't count basically this yeah, is like elementary school, school no the whole district oh so wow. i lost the so i i was getting ready to go to high school i was like in uh eighth grade okay. so i had to go to high school uh i went from like inner city kansas city out to the uh suburbs in lee summit missouri okay and i was like a in Missouri, the context of a suburb is like a place that was a farm town where a bunch of like people with money move. And so it actually becomes this contested atmosphere because there's like kids that are from originally what was a farm town. Then Mm -hmm. there's kids in polo shirts with like Lexuses that are like moving and building giant houses in said farm town. Then there was like all the black kids that are trying to get an accredited education that follow them out there. Oh, so this formative moment for me was going to high school in this context that we didn't we didn't realize it at the time. Everybody's just in this cha- place that's changing in all these ways. Right. But it's like you're in a crazy tinderbox of a situation mm-hmm. and you're like becoming a man in that situation, you know? Yeah, it's a formative time in general. Yeah, you know, and it's Eighth, like... Eighth grade. Yeah, it's like, you know, you start driving, but then the, there's the suburban cops that are out there that are like black kids are, black people are moving here in that particular moment that place is history like that it's funny that place now has like a black population that's representative of like national averages i think the the superintendent of least summit schools is a black guy now okay but back then when we first moved out there uh they sent a letter home that called black students the challenging new demographic wow uh yeah man so before eighth grade you were going you said you called it an inner city school yeah so what does that mean mostly black uh yes and like four like 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 there'd be like white kids were a novelty like there was like four like four white kids Mm -hmm. yeah so did they do well in the school like an urban room They did well. So it's. I mean, it's, that's what's so funny about it. Because you, depending on what part of town you grew up on, on like kids would take that personality. So there was a kid that went to um, Grandview High School, which is kind of like a, a like it's kind of like a hood suburb. It's like mm-hmm. a predominantly black. It's like where white people with money lived fifty years ago, but then they fled even that right. place, and it's like all black. And it's a white kid, and uh, he used to wear uh, Steve Harvey suits and stuff like that to debate uh-huh. tournaments. And they used to call him like white chocolate. And he actually became, he went to Morehouse college uh-huh. and he became the first white uh, student ever elected to the student council at Morehouse college in Atlanta. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like his whole life, like just cause he grew up in Grandview, he just ends up like living the black experience as a white kid, you know? Well, so was it a, a poor area? Grandview? Uh, but where you, is that oh, where, where you, I grew oh, yeah. where I was living in Kansas city before eighth grade? Yeah, but it, yeah, but it wasn't the worst. No. So it was like, it, I didn't really consider myself poor, but you know, uh, you know, in the, in the nineties and stuff like that, like, dr- like crack was like still around, okay. you know what I mean? And then in that so, area. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, there's like shootings like around, it's mm-hmm. not like you're watching people get gunned down or anything like that, but you're, you hear shootings. You yeah. Know what I mean, you, you hear gunshots, you know what I mean? 
before eighth grade you would hear gunshots yeah in the, in the 90s in south kc for sure like yeah it was like you heard shooting every once in a while yeah was that the time of drive-by shootings that was drive-by shootings yeah. it was like so my high school my neighborhood school would have been southeast high school that got closed down that was one of the one of the it wasn't a good school in a bad district uh-huh. it wasn't a very good school but so but hbo and not not super far from where i was living hbo did a documentary uh, about one of the high schools in the Kansas City School District, and uh, they they were tracing gang members and crack dealers, and so guys my age, what HBO figured out was a guy my age uh, before if he was in a gang or selling crack, he had an average of six months before he was dead or in jail. Wow. Um, yeah. This, so this is about the early '90s, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the drive-by shootings were kind of a thing then. No, uh, I think I think Kansas City was like the drive-by capital, like of like the region. Okay. So even, even today, like Kansas City is like a wonderful city. It's 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 an insane place in the way that it's like this wonderful, great place to raise a family, and it sort of represents all these wholesome things. But it's routinely ranked as one of the most violent cities in America. At the same time, is it? Would you say it was when you were growing up pretty segregated? It's, uh, yeah. So what makes Kansas City odd is that it's segregated, but it's segregated within its city limits, and it also mm. has like. Uh, interracial sharing of government power. So it's like white people don't live east of Troost in the city, but Uh they don't mind uh, they don't mind having a black mayor. So like there's like a there's a multiracial sort of coalition. Like people are segregated, but they're but they are within the city limits. Now, I live in Newark, New Jersey, where anywhere, any city, Newark, Trenton, Patterson, Camden, all these places, there's no white people in any of the cities. Like the all white people just completely left the cities. Right. Which is a which is a much that's actually worse. It's actually better to be segregated but still be in the city limits and share them. Yeah. Then once you uh, you know cuz like once all white people leave the cities, they'll you know, they don't they don't they don't care what happens to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They start making weird policies like building highways around people's houses and you know what I mean, that kind yes. of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, bring the values way down. Yeah, it becomes like it becomes a dumping ground for whatever you don't mm-hmm. want, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden you're hit, you're going into eighth grade or going into ninth grade. Yeah. And you have to move out of the, your school district into a totally different area. Yeah. And a totally different school. Yeah. With a totally different demographic. Yeah, because the first year my my first year of high school, my parents actually put me in a Jesuit Catholic school, uh, but it was like tremendously expensive. It was like going to like Notre Dame, and then plus I think the urban Catholic schools they have they can charge a lot because it's you know it's white people that have money, right? That send their kids there, and I guess black people have money too, you know. Uh, so we couldn't afford that, so I ended up going to public school. Yeah, and just moving completely. And how long was the bus ride? They'd bus you out of no, the city, huh? No, they, they weren't busting us out. You had to move. You had to get an address. Because oh. the suburbs have protected themselves. Yeah, you had to have an address. Yeah, you had to move. so we had to move. You had to move. So all the kids in that area? They had to move. Some, I mean, some may have had some fake addresses. But, sure. we, but we actually lived there because I had an aunt and uncle that moved out there and like bought property in like... It was like 1989 when it was still like a one-horse town. There's a, now there's over like 100,000 people in that place. Well, well, I mean, what else were they expecting? Right, if you have to move there to go to kids, get your kids to school. Yeah, I mean it's it's part of that, you know. I mean, so Kansas City is like this huge metropolitan area, but mm. it's also that Lee Summit is not. It actually kind of comes really close to. It's not that far out there, and it also has. It's like geographically, it's huge. Yeah. It's actually for a suburb. It's actually a lot of land. I think it's like geographically. I think it's like the third biggest place in Missouri. 
Okay. That's how big this suburb is randomly. Right. Um, yeah. So when you moved there, did you feel like you had to change your personality to fit in? No, because no, I didn't. I didn't have to really change anything. It was actually just acclimating myself and understanding more. It's like the most like high school was like the most I had ever learned about white people. Like as far as like white people are different mm-hmm. from each other. Like there's different types of white people. Like, cause you get, you get a chance to see like a spectrum of whiteness in a place like that. Like you get to see like a dude that plays golf and a dude in a Leonard Skinner t-shirt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, those are like your classmates. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and then you get to see like, you know, you get to see all kinds of things. It was like, there was class and there was all this other stuff. There's like sex and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then, oh, there's also, I mean, a big, huge thing. It's like white people that are evangelical Christians and the ones that aren't. That was a huge divide in our high school, right? You know? Definitely. Uh, yeah, you don't get a sense of any of that. If, well, if you're growing up in an all-black neighborhood, you're like, oh, all white people are just white people. It's like, no. Right. <laughs> so this is your first real experience with that. No, nah, I mean, I've been around white people before, but I didn't know. Like, there's like it's high schools where you get to know them, like, intimately. You go to people's houses and mm-hmm. you, you know, you... You know, you know, it's the only play, only time I'd ever been in a school system consistently enough. Like all my oldest friends are actually high school friends. Right. Yeah. So like, it's like, those are the people that I actually know best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you always had older friends? No, I just moved around so much, you know, because uh, instability between like my parents and stuff like that. So we grew up like splitting time between Kansas City and Dallas, Texas, and then going to all kinds of like different schools, you know. So, so your parents were divorced. Yeah. And then you'd be sometimes with your mom, sometimes with your dad. Yeah, yeah. From Dallas, Texas. Yeah. To Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. I mean, the, the context was kind of the same in Dallas because some I was always just the. Uh, it's like what Chris Rock said, like just uh, like I was like the poor person around white people. Uh huh. That's the way it kind of was in Dallas. Yeah. So, but but the schools they had busing in in those districts. Mm-hmm. So that was a contested atmosphere because it was like rich white people, but then like, you know, like North Dallas, like we had gangs when I was in school in Dallas, that was like a thing, yeah. you know, in junior high, you know what I mean? It was like, there were like actual gang members and it was like, if you're a black kid, you're sort of navigating, like some of my friends come from gang territory and some of my friends are soccer players. Right, exactly. Well, that's the <laughs> strange nuance of the United States, I think there's like, different class there's different classes you yeah. know there's like a, there's a poor neighborhood then there's a wealthy neighborhood and when i was growing up there was race riots yeah but it wasn't necessarily people there were kids they didn't figure it out but it was really just a fight between the wealthy neighborhood and the poor neighborhood yeah so there was all these people in between because you have the the poor white kid maybe rocking out to some leonard skinner to <laughs> to harsh to harp on a stereotype yeah his he's poor also yeah but that's the nuances and people just see race because it's easier to see but really a lot of times it's a class underneath it that's why it wasn't lee summit man it's like you know the the real deal country boys like they did not like those suburban kids like you you've come out here you've raised our cost of living you've built gated communities in our town right you know what i mean like and that was like i mean that was eye-opening for me because you didn't get to see those dynamics but i will say what's interesting about it is that like like the incoming black kids very much became the uniting factor for like, I mean, it was a great microcosm about how this country works. Right. Sounds you know like what I mean? It. If you introduce black people to that context, it's like, Oh, okay. We, we, the white people, the white delegation can now 
rest of their civil war and agree, <laughs> and agree on yeah yeah we can agree on who 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 we don't like now you know what i mean right that's tribalism yeah i mean it's like the same way trump got got elected you know what i mean it's yeah. the, it's the exact same you see i mean it, like high school is that time where you get to see like people start making deals you know what i mean i'm like i'm like you guys hated each other like you know maybe sophomore year but by junior year your families have formed an alliance, you know? Right. I've heard that about the prison system. Like, once you go in, you have to decide who your tribe is. Yeah. So, if you're a white guy, you just have to be a white supremacist. Yeah. You <laughs> or just... else you get your ass kicked unless you convert to Orthodox or something. I don't even... Yeah. They say, yeah. yeah like, for a guy like me, it's like, I have to, like, join... I have to become a Muslim, actually. Like, a black Muslim. Right. Because that's the only guy that gets to read in prison without being, like, victimized. Really? Oh, yeah, that's good that's to know. Say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to read books, you have to become a black nationalist. Yeah, yeah. So that's been interesting because, uh, yeah, uh, in prisons they've expanded. Like, so what white nationalism means? So, like, like Irish guys get to be, join the Aryans, and like uh, they've seen like some Jews have joined the Aryans if they went in, right? Which doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense. And they ask, "Well, Catholics and Jews are your priority organization?" It's like it's just the they're, they're like white numbers aren't big enough to where they can be exclusive. Right. So even the Aryans are like, we have to be more inclusive in our whiteness in order to compete with the yeah. Latinos or whatever. <laughs> we'll take gays and Jews now. We're fine. It's, it's okay. Yeah. They, you know, everybody makes deals. You know what I mean? Yeah. People say one thing and then they'll do, they'll do another thing. It's like the same thing. You know, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, I, I mean, I think you're seeing it with some segments of the Latino community. Like, I mean, people are shocked. You know, Trump got 30% of the Latino vote. They got mm -hmm. more of the Latino vote than Romney did. It's amazing to me. It's it's not if you so yes, it's amazing, but this is why it was great living in Texas, right? Because you get to see the span of Mexicanness. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like white with the cowboys. There's yeah, there's that. There's there's like so there's brand new Mexican and then there's like Anglo Mexican family that's been in the country two hundred years landowning. Right. You know what I mean? Like that might have voted for Trump. They might have voted for Trump. Yeah. yeah they, like, you know, what I mean I mean, he's not Mexican, but I mean you see ted cruz like guys right in the mexican community right the in the elite end you know what i mean mm -hmm. um marco rubio yeah marco rubio they are the cubans the other cubans and the, you know, your florida cubans you mm -hmm. know so like uh you know that was kind of a revealing thing too because it was like a doubt and you know in texas that you know being you know latino was like also a big thing you know mm -hmm. it's like you know your campus your high school experience in texas is more divided into like three to four groups so how so moving to this I want to talk about moving to Dallas and back and forth like you said but how did this change you I mean you saw the different spectrums of of white people yeah. but then you also saw the different spectrums of how people adapted Yeah I don't know it, it, it it's an interesting thing man like it's like uh I don't know. I think it reinforced where I want to live very much. Like I'm very much an urban person. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't really realize how much I the the things that I value in a place to live are city based because I'm very much into. What is it about the city? The diversity. Yeah, and it's also it's there's not a culture of assimilation. So the suburbs have their diversity, but it's very much a culture of like assimilation there. And it's like no, I want to know what's actually cool about your people. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, suburbs is where you could take anybody from the world and you could turn them into a nice white picket fence, middle class consumer. But it's like, I want to go to your whatever experience you were running away from. I want to actually go see that. I want to go see your shop downtown. I want to go see. Yeah. I want to go see what, yeah, what, yeah. what things have you brought to this country? You know what I mean? That's the stuff I want to see. You know what I mean? Interesting. Um, 
everybody can do whatever they want. I'm, I don't want to essentialize people and tell you how to live your life, but I'm just saying it's more interesting to me to interact with different cultures and stuff like that on more on their own terms. You know what I mean? Is that why you like touring around places like South Carolina? <laughs> Hell yeah. Cause no, cause all those places, I mean like even when you go to a place like South Carolina, cause of the economy, mm. like there's all these like insane things like, Oh, like just a ton of Eastern Europeans there. Really? They, they brought in all these Eastern Europeans to, to like, as like sort of like a labor force right, for right. the year round. Like I'm talking about like Myrtle beach and places like this. Yeah. Uh, Se- seasonal work no they're they're permanent i mean because the people are starting you know place south carolina on paper is like this it's like the american dream right it's like a place with like a booming economy but in like no taxes okay so people are going there to participate in like this like beach economy that is like but now it's grown enough with the retiree community and things like that to where it's become like you know there's hundreds of thousands of people living in this place now so they're building up all this infrastructure for all this stuff you know so there's industry for people to earn earn a living yeah you know it's a beach okay i own the beach store you know what i mean i sell the towels and the dirty the t-shirts <laughs> with the you know female body inspector fbi you know all that stuff you yeah. find on any boardwalk yeah like, i got you know, crabs in myrtle beach that, yeah all that stuff yeah <laughs> it's like somebody from like lithuania yeah or it's like <laughs> hey i moved here to sell this stuff you know what i mean yeah so that, yeah, I mean, but that's more, what's happening in Royal Beach is more of kind of an assimilationist thing too. Right, know? right. But, but it's, I don't know, America's a weird country because you could be like, I think you people voted for Trump, but they're also very much like, the first thing they'll brag about is, yeah, a lot of immigrants come down here. It's real cool, you know? They come yeah. down here to work in the economy. Exactly. And they'll love their culture, they'll love their food, but then vote against their interests. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so crazy. I mean, when you see, like, anti-Mexican sentiment in Texas, especially parts of Texas, when it's, like, these people, like, there are white people that have taken on so many aspects of Mexican culture as their own Absol- culture. Absolutely. And, and they don't even, like, you know, it's like, it's like, dude, you, do you literally are, like, eating a breakfast burrito every day. Yeah. And you're like, I want them out of here. I'm like, but no, you don't. I think that might be the difference between the concept of immigration and actually meeting a human person that's an immigrant yeah 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 well it's also it's also upward mobility so when you see somebody that comes to the country and they're doing a little bit better than you maybe or they're doing the same as you or mm-hmm. then you know you don't feel superior to them then it's like you want them to go right <laughs> right yeah everyone, so ever no everyone's okay with immigrants as a servant class but when they start owning things and right they start winning like maybe positioning themselves to maybe influence politicians and win an election that's when you get these we want them out of here right because maybe it makes them reflect on themselves and say wow i've been here longer and i'm not doing as well what's up with that yeah and but rather than just be like yeah and no and nobody ever blames the the system that's what's so great they always find like it's always just find a lower person on the totem pole it's like dude the banks just foreclosed your house it's like that's not a mexican dude's fault yeah, or but, there's automation taking over all the jobs or new technologies. Yeah, no one will ever blame any of those things, right? It's always mm-hmm. go after a, a specific group of people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So your parents divorced at what age? Six. Six. Yeah. Okay. And your dad moved from Missouri to Dallas. No, he. Uh, so he'd actually been in Dallas since '79. So I was born in Kansas City, but uh, it's been like you know a lot of my early childhood was in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So, you know. In, in Dallas, the city of Dallas? Uh, da- Plano, Texas. Plano, yeah. Which is right, yeah. Which, mm-hmm. at the time, there wasn't that many people there. Now, Plano is probably 200,000 people. 100,000. You know, it's. I mean, it's huge. Like, yes, Plano's developed. a huge place, yeah. 
but there weren't that many people out there. It was it was pre 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 black tar heroin Plano. Okay, has that affected? Uh, when I was coming, when I for kids my age, that was a big thing. The kids were dying from the black tar heroin. It was in the news. You know uh-huh. what I mean? But that was like right as I moved to Kansas City, where it was like, we'll get you out of heroin territory. We'll get you into to crack territory. Was that a conscious move your <laughs> your mom made? <laughs> no, it was just it was just what was. I mean, it was the reflection of the who was doing the drugs. You know, it's, uh-huh. you know, it's like poor black neighborhood. It was crack. It was like rich white kids in Plano are dying of heroin overdoses. Yeah, yeah. So they thought crack would be better for you than the. No, I had to get out of Dallas. My dad was insane, man. Like, uh, and I just had to get out of there. You know, so we just like it was like, mom, come get us. Yeah. Why did you have to? get out of there oh my dad's crazy like he's like and i don't mean crazy in the way that like stigmatize like actual mental health like he's just like not he's just not like all there like a lot of bad decisions and things like that yeah yeah yeah. is there a one particular bad decision that stands out oh the constant uh jeopardizing of our living situation like is like like always uncertain whether like we would live in a place (laughs) like Uh have a place to live oh so yeah like that yeah that was one of those things and it would be like just personal choices like i didn't like what my boss said today so i quit it's like well you have kids right <laughs> kid just not a, how old was he when he was raising you uh how old was he yeah i mean he's like 60 now okay so yeah yeah i mean old enough to know better but he wasn't like 19 years old no no reason. no it wasn't like yeah he wasn't a teenager when right. he had us or anything like that yeah so yeah so you just had to get out of there you know you do your eighth motel in mesquite texas oh really time was, at like a motel or something you know what i mean he it's was like, doing that shuffling you have brother or sister i have a little brother yeah okay. I, have, I have older brother too but he my little my older brother ran away from home at 16 to get away from my dad and it was like so that was the irony we all ended up running away from home you did all three of us we all ran away you, you ran away yeah we told her mom to just come get us we didn't tell him she was coming to get us oh so she just we came just, and yeah, just came get us which is very illegal now that i work at a school <laughs> yes <laughs> like kidnapping so but what, yeah but but it had to be done and and if it would have went to it couldn't have never i mean if it went through the process we'd have gotten taken out of there too if it would have went through the legal process yeah i mean it's like you don't have a place for your kids to live i, I mean we were in crazy places like mesquite texas like you know, like truckers knocking on the door, like they want me to watch some kids. It's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Wow. Like, see where you reflect on it, where it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, it's like lot lizards around and stuff like that. Right. Things you don't really think about when you're a kid, but you're like, oh, that was a truck stop prostitute that was at the ice machine all the time. Yeah. And you could only be grateful that you didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on when you were a kid. Yeah. And you don't have any sense. You just, I mean, you knew, I knew I was poor though, because it was always mm-hmm. the insistence on keeping us in good schools. <laughs> like the kid in the motel that goes to, it's like, can we move to the hood where at least, some other people are experiencing hardship interesting yeah so why weren't you with your mom in the first place well because there was this idea that men should uh raise boys oh so it's part of part of that you know that that thing that we don't believe in that much anymore yeah i never heard that that was a prevailing thing well because it was it was contextual you know it was like a lot of kids that didn't have dads were getting shot during that period like you understand it in the you know, it's kind of like the boys in the hood narrative. Yeah. It's like boys should be with their father. You right. Know what I Make mean? them tough. Yeah. But that's actually kind of like not what happened there. That's an irony. It's like. Yeah. Because know. it's not. It's probably. I mean, stereotypically, it could be less of a nurturing environment. Well, yeah. It's not even that. It's just that also, too, by. You're not. We, we'd have tough living situations, but you were always put in really good schools. So that didn't really make you tough. It actually gave you like profound insecurities. <laughs> 
What when when you were living in hotels? <laughs> yeah, was your dad leaving you there and going to work? I mean, some sometimes, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, how old were you been, when this is happening? Man, all the way from I mean, I say anyway from the age of like ten to fourteen. Like okay. that whole period was like. You know, and you had a little brother. Yeah. So did you feel a sense of responsibility? Yeah, yeah. And we got along fine. I mean, and we got along in the in all the places we were, we assimilated fine. It's just by the time you had assimilated to them, you were getting moved somewhere else. That was the issue. Right. Yeah. And did you realize that it was ungrounding at the time? I mean, I'm sure you felt it. A little bit, because you make friends and stuff like that. And then you go to a different school, and then you lose contact with your friends and stuff like that. Right. Uh, but it was easy to doubt. That's, that's why I got into comedy, because it was like... It was the easiest way to make friends. Yeah. You, know you develop I mean? a sense of humor and you realize this works wherever I go. Yeah, yeah. How many times did you move schools? Did you ever count? Uh, it was, it's double digits. Double digits. Wow. Yeah, yeah. From I went to double digit numbers of schools, I'd say, yeah. What's the longest you were in a school? The shortest? Well, I, I know the shortest. I think I went to one school for like four months. Four maybe. months, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm talking about sometimes two to three schools a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like that affected your education? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't do any math. Really? Like anything to where it's built a base to where you learn through, I can't do any math at all. Right. But well, that's the only way I've noticed. Like math and science, uh-huh. but, but I can read. I'm, I'm very good at reading. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't, I can't do like, math and science are just lost on me. Well, know? good thing we have calculators now you know yeah right on our phones yeah yeah but other things you know i you know i went to good enough schools to where i learned good good skills you know for like reading writing and like critical thinking and stuff like that so. yeah that's interesting that your parents always want to keep you in a better school i mean trying to send you to private school that's says something yeah so they would put me in the uh and then if i went to urban schools they would put me in the gifted program Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I'm not even sure if I'm that. I was that gifted. I think it was just. I think maybe I had a like. My parents would put a sweater on me or something, and they're like, "Oh, well, he must go in the gifted program." Well, you probably took an IQ test. <laughs> That's true. You, pro- true. you might. Maybe you took several IQ tests <laughs> moving schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took one. So was, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, it was cool. Did you? Do you remember? Do you know if you scored high on it? I imagine you did. I think I did, but I don't remember what the score was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they put me in the talented and gifted program. Which right. is weird, but I don't, yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't really know enough about how they measure these things and like whether it was just being eccentric, and then it was also maybe having an imagination too. Like if I think if you have an imagination, like maybe that says something about your. Yeah, IQ. maybe they can measure that in an IQ test. Somehow. Maybe maybe that helps just having an imagination, but you had to have one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that you that you think that was the big formative experience moving from the inner city to the suburb yeah but all these different schools and the hotels and different homes but it was all the same dynamic though because in dallas you know with the busing dynamic you were still caught between the, the, the dallas was, was was where you put all those people in the same context that was what was interesting about that oh uh-huh yeah so, so, all, so all these different people are going to the same they're place? all going to the same school in dallas right and that was what was like was wild about it you know what i mean like and it was good but it was also like it was you know it was like an intense kind of atmosphere in, in in its own way how so um just because you know like you you have really affluent white people that are like in the plano sort of richardson area you have like bust in black kids 
you have like middle class black kids that are trying to figure out they might live in Richardson and Plano. They're trying to figure out how do they racially fit into this thing? Right. Are they hanging with the inner city kids? Are they hanging with the white kids that they've grown up with their entire lives? Right. You had like black kids from the inner city who are being bust in who are coming from tough neighborhoods to where they're like, they're, you know, they're still in gangs, right? They're like some, occasionally they're there. I mean, there's fights all the time at school. There are guns at school. Right. But then there's like, also these kids are being shipped into these places and it's Texas. So these kids are a lot of times from the rough neighborhoods are the basis of like these big athletic programs. Like, okay. yeah. So it's like, I mean, like I got like, there was recruiting for high school football. They're like going into junior high, telling you to keep your grades up and start lifting. Wow. Yeah. Cause when people say Friday night lights, that's not, that's not fake, man. What yeah, is, what is Friday night lights? Friday night lights is a, a movie slash television show about high school football in Texas. You know, kids in high school and, you know, in big high schools in Texas are playing high school football games in front of 10,000 people mm. on TV. Mm-hmm. So if you turn it into you turn it into like the Big Twelve Network, they just show high school football on the Big Twelve Network when college football isn't playing. Right. So you have kids that so the high school quarterback coming out of a Texas high school has actually ran a pro style spread offense. Uh, right. <laughs> he's already he's already ran those things. To, um, to think about uh, your experience in dealing with all these different people, if I zoom out, I'm like, this is really all about identity. Yeah. You know, because we're all kind of, especially growing up at that formative age, we're trying to figure out who we are. And we only figure out who we are in relation to other people. Yeah. Have you ever heard this? That when people are put in solitary confinement, they go completely insane and it's they, they consider it a form of torture. Yeah. Because you no, you're nothing without being reflected off somebody else. Oh, yeah. You just wither away into like this amorphous, selfless blob without another person in front of you to reflect so you can see your reflection off of someone else yeah i mean it's i mean it's i mean it's weird a lot of times i felt like a man without a country but but in a way that helps because you stand out you You stand out with other people but that what but who are you you're trying to figure out who you are oh yeah i'm I'm, I'm go to therapy after this so i'm yeah (laughs) after this podcast literally after this podcast i'm going straight to therapy nice but it's not like the first time i've gone i've been going yeah yeah because i've never reflected on these things until like three months ago really did you just start therapy yeah Mm -hmm. it's so good right it's very nice yeah, I find therapy's really good before the podcast because you're already talking, you're in the zone. I don't even like to talk that much uh, sometimes, though. At therapy? Yeah, which just makes it a little weird. I just like to listen to what people are saying and stuff like that. But wait, that's what your therapist is supposed to be doing. Are you invoicing them? No, yeah, no, but... Um, <laughs> you're paying for so, it. You so it's, couple, it's couples therapy. Oh, it's couples therapy. Yeah, so think oh. about all, all the way these things influence my private relationships interesting yeah so you always go with your girlfriend yeah interesting so i like to hear what everybody's saying i like i like it's interesting to me to hear about what i do from someone else mm-hmm. i'm like oh I, I, I do that what have you been to therapy on your own no no does the couple's therapy session turn into just a therapy session with you no not really i mean i just like to listen sometimes but I, I talk about i talk i talk a lot but i also sometimes i like to listen yeah. Because cause that's as revealing for me, you know, like just hearing, because I don't, I don't necessarily think about what I'm doing at all times. I but just you, do stuff. I'm a busy man. So I'm yeah. just doing things all the time. And so I don't get to hear about the way my behavior may impact other people in a private context. Or think about the rationale of why I do so much stuff. 
mm-hmm. too is very interesting. What is the rationale? Um, I don't know, man. I think part of it's hard, hard working. Part of it's like I enjoy people, and then part of it is like, um, like I feel like a sort of like I feel like obligations towards people, like in in, in a lot of ways. That's what I think like responsible for people. Yeah, or responsible to them. Like I, I would, I would always want to do right by people. So that means I sign up for a lot of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that happens being an older brother. Yeah, you always you grow up having to care for someone that's younger than you, and that person's looking up to you usually. Yeah, like I feel responsibilities towards people. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good, but you also have to feel a responsibility to yourself, which is a common theme in therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how I think about it. But yeah, so I'll. I'll yeah, my entire life is sort of structured towards others in a lot right. of ways, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, like all this work and stuff like that. And like you're not thinking about yourself. You're being concerned about that person and this person. Or just, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, yeah, I'll do it with no consideration of like, well, is that possible? So, yeah, like at, like at my day job a lot, this has been thing like, you know, like I'm like serving on a lot of stuff because I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And because I, I feel an obligation towards the organization. I want to make it work and things like that. But what? there's that. But there. But the idea of pushing back is like not one that I would have. Right. Well. Well. There's a couple of things here. I mean, are you being busy just so you don't have to reflect on things? No, I'm not running from anything. Right. No, it's actually the more the, doing stuff gets me out of the house. Right. But being in the house is where you do a lot of reflection. I like being in the house, but you got you can't be in the house too long. I like being in the house so much that I have to get out. Yeah, because I could just I could just plant flowers all day and be like perfect. Yeah, but if but you know then it's you know now they now they bring food to you. What is your day job? I'm a history professor at the City College in New York. Oh wow! So you teach college level yeah. kids. Yeah. Wow, history, huh? Yeah, that's impressive. You're I'm a professor. Yeah. Okay. Still can't add though. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to. Yeah. So, do you see any of yourself in your students? Um, yeah. I mean, higher access to higher education, like college. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, so it changed my life. So, mm-hmm. I teach a city college, so that's my students. Right. My students came, you know, children of immigrants, you know, to, uh, you know, fourth, fifth generation kids from Harlem and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, it's all the things that. I see. I mean, my context is different from them because they're all native New Yorkers. Right. Uh, they grew up with more diversity. They grew up with my, more diversity and they, they're New York sort of exposes you to a lot of things, but also shelters you from so much stuff. So like, so like the rest of the country is just a complete mystery to a 20 year old that grew up in New York city. Yeah. I, th- I know cause I've lived, I've lived on a few different places and I noticed that about New Yorkers. They kind of think they, have seen it all and done it all because you feel like that here. It's a big metropolis, but you don't see a lot of different areas of the country where it's not urban at all. Yeah. Well, even that, or they don't even get a sense about other cities. Like that's, I mean, that's sort of the, and then in the gentrification moment, it's like all the things that I find that even like for newer people that have moved here, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are moving to New York City to find something that actually exists. They're they're moving to a moment that actually has passed here. Right. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. I know. Yeah. You know know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. The person that's trying to get in on the edgy Bedford stop of the L. Right. That's gone, man. That's been gone for, you know, for a few years now. Yeah. But it's like a city like Detroit is where that's actually happening. 
Exactly. I mean, New York City, you don't see any prostitutes on the corners. You don't barely, you barely see graffiti. You yeah. barely see drug dealers. No, it's like clean. It's like, it's safe. It's nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's barely even a city. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Epcot Center. <laughs> yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what's so funny because it's like all the things that people glamorize about like New York City as far as on the bad end that they glamorize it. That's what the city of Newark is. But Newark gets blasted for it. Yeah. Like, it's like Newark, oh my God, there's all this thing and all those things. But then, like, <laughs> someone moves here in New York, like, you know, hoping for, like, uh, some of that edginess. I saw Warriors on TV. I want to go to New York. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, you're not going to see any Warriors. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. They all moved to Newark. They all moved to Newark, baby. And even they're getting pushed out there. But even, like, but even like Newark, where it's like, if you want to go to, like, a warehouse party and stuff like that, it's like, where I, where I go out in New York, like, do, do your listeners know where you, where you live? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's actually coming out to. They don't like, know my address. Don't say my address. It's actually like now I'm coming out here to hang out now. That's right. how I know, like, the things that I'm interested in are actually, like, in your neighborhood now. Like, yeah. it's not in the time out, not out in New York, because whatever's in there has passed. Like, I, I saw on Twitter, it was like Union Pool was trending. I'm like, what is this, 15 years ago? Right, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm like, but, like, to do something edgy, you got to be, like, in Newark or you got to be in Ridgewood. You got to be mm-hmm. in all those places to go to a place where, like, a creative, non corporate thing that people that don't have a bunch of money are making it happen. Yeah. Those, those are the kinds of places. And that's, like, so many cities in the country now. And New Yorkers are, New Yorkers don't realize how much, like, I mean, they're, maybe they're starting to realize it. Like, you go off of the Bedford stop at the L, it's like, the corporate creep is real, man. Like, Oh, yeah. Whole it, Foods, Apple Store. It's, yeah. it's not the Brooklyn you would think. No. It's like, I mean, I mean, and like, people calling the police because of noise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you move to Brooklyn above a music venue, and you're complaining about noise. Yeah. And, like, the music venue gets shut down, right? Exactly. Or, or, like, the full restaurant's that can't possibly pay their rent mm-hmm. it's a i mean it's a weird thing it's a it's a it's a balance in newark we're like we are glad that whole foods is there this building was on fire for 50 years but they, but they're but it's like whole foods doesn't control anything mm-hmm. like it, it just it's just a place where people can now buy fresh food without having to leave the entire city which is what they had to do for like the last 40 years yeah but you also lose the individualism of the place i mean you go into a whole foods you could be anywhere you could be in any whole foods it's true it's, it's a very it's a majority minority whole foods though which does make it a little bit it's like it, it's like it's like the harlem whole foods is it yeah it's like the 125th street whole <laughs> i gotta foods. go check that out yeah yeah <laughs> that's the new new york i'm going up to harlem to check out the whole foods there but it's the same people that are there mm-hmm. that's what i say what is gentrification in newark gonna look like it's gonna look like the way gentrification in harlem look it's gonna Do be you- like a black version like it's like marcus samuelson is on 125th street he's also in downtown newark now do you feel a newark pride yeah i like that city i root for it i mean it's a post-industrial working class like radically black liberal uh-huh. city you know what i mean like you can't help and and also if you study the history and you get a sense of what has been done to that place mm-hmm. like it gets collectively punished for being what it is it is the butt of some jokes. Oh, my God, all the time. But yeah. I, don't, I don't even really worry about those jokes, though, because it's like my house goes up $5,000 a month in value. Right. And it's like Newark is like making fun of Newark now. You can't really make fun of Newark, especially because depending on where you live in New York City, you might live in the Newark of New York City. You own your house. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because it just didn't make it. I mean, it was like, if you, why would you be in a luxury apartment in a city where the houses were going for $150,000? Right. In the New York City metropolitan area. Your mortgage is probably less than my rent. Yeah. 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 No joke about that. So that's kind of interesting because you you grew up being shuffled around hotels 
and you're still young you're still a young guy you know you own your own home now yeah, but it's but it's I mean it's all ironies of the economy, right? It's my you know they got me in those suburban schools to get me out of the hood, and the first thing I did was buy a house right back in the hood again. <laughs> when how long ago did you buy it? Uh, two years ago. Okay, and but I'm I'm not downtown though. I can't afford to like that's where the speculators are, and then like the eastern end of the city, the Ironbound, that's where they are because that's the you know, all the places where it's close to the train station. Right. Uh, I'm a little bit north of town, which is basically I live in Spanish Harlem with houses. Okay. But I mean, all of New York is getting—I uh, don't know about gentrified, but yeah. it's all going up in value. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because there's nowhere to go. Like, it's nowhere to go. I mean, the fact just the presence of New Yorkers in like Newark gives you a sense. It's like there is literally nowhere else to go. You feel that happening? Yeah, I mean, you see, that's been happening long before I got there. Because it's like you know, it's only twenty minutes into Manhattan, right? So that makes it a better commute than a lot of places. So what happened to your mom and dad? Uh, okay. So my dad still lives in Dallas. He's still wild. I don't talk to him. You don't uh, talk to him. I don't talk to him at all. Uh, when's my, the last well, time you spoke to him? I don't remember. Maybe two years ago. Something like that. Was this your decision? No, he, well, he disowned me via text message. He, he always like does and says mean things. And I'm like, this time I'll just take you up on it. Like I was actually very accommodating toward him. Like I'd always be like, Oh, come uh, help him. And so like that. then one time I was like, nah, I, I think I'll just accept your word on this one. So did you feel like you, you were the, like you were the parent? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was making you the uh, yeah, adult. Yeah, you have to be the adult in the room, yeah. Right, you, it was up to you to make this situation right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's incapable of those kinds of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and my mom, she's great. She lives in Kansas City, you know, like, uh, she's like, like, you know, pretty high up at Verizon and things like that, so it's been great. You mean like she has like a really good data plan, or she works for Verizon? She works for Verizon. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she's got that high. 10 gigabyte data plan <laughs> super high up. Yeah, so you know, in that, in that sense, it's good. You know, she must be proud of you. Yeah, it's good. We all, you know, we, you know, we had to deliver on the investment, so it's where you know, me and my little brother were proud. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people went through a lot of great links to make sure that we succeeded, and so you know, we're trying to like, you know, give return on that investment. When your little brother, you said your little brother ran away when he was 16. My older brother did. Your older brother when yeah. he was sixteen. Yeah. Did you ever find him? I found no. I found it. Yeah, we found we found him. So he has a different mom. So his mom okay. is kind of grounded in like Kansas City, Kansas, which is like, uh, you know, like during that era, it's a tough, tough place. You yeah. know what I mean? You talk to him? I do talk to him. I see him all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. He, yeah, he's good. You know, he's got you know, he's got kids and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So does he talk to your dad? No, none of us do. None of you talk. There's to your nothing dad. you can do. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do. See a boozer or something? Kinda, but this no, it's not. It's not really even from that perspective. He's just, it's just you know. Is he just like a overgrown kid, or just? Yeah, I think he never. I think he quit developing. His dad died when he was seventeen of a heart uh, attack. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think he ever grew past that emotionally. Right, and one thing I've heard about and I've seen with family members, like having kids, you kind of re. If you have children, you relive your childhood through your kid. Mm-hmm. So maybe him raising three boys, he's seeing himself in all these different phases, and he's it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. He, he need he needed the couples therapy. He needs a lot of therapy. <laughs> he needs a lot of therapy for sure. Yeah. Sounds like your uh, formative experiences did you well. Yeah, I'm happy with who I. I everything's good, man. Yeah. You When's your I mean? next uh, stand-up show? Uh, just go to justinwilliamscomedy.com. Mm-hmm. All my shows are listed there. Awesome.
Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you so much. It's good to see you, man. And also, I want to talk to you more because you have like very much, you have a lot of insight into people. Oh, Maybe thank you can help you. me out. Yeah, I, I part of me wants to be a therapist. I think you'd be a good one. Yeah, yeah. I get that a lot actually. Yeah, that's cool. All right, we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) How much is your current therapist? I'll I'll undercut them. Oh, it's part of my insurance. Oh, it is. I got to get on that insurance thing. All right. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs)